Hello and welcome to a very special CSL Wild Science podcast. I'm Moni Böhm and today I'm here at the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition 2018. Now what is the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition? It's a free festival celebrating the science shaping our future. And this year, CSL is right in the midst of it. We're here to present our work on where the wild things are. How do we track individuals, populations and species in remote places of our planet? Now this podcast is essentially a little teaser on what you might find here at the exhibition, on why we are exhibiting here at the Royal Society, what you can expect to find and do at our exhibit, and how you can find out more about our work. So let's start our tour of the exhibit. At the beginning, I'm German, I like order. So I found Robin Freeman, head of CSL's Indicators and Assessments Unit, clutching a toy albatross. So Robin, ignoring the albatross for the moment, what's the overall story behind where the wild things are? So we're here today talking about how the world's changing. So we know that biodiversity is declining and we know that habitats are changing, climate's warming. And what we're trying to say is that while we have good data about some of that, there's places on the earth or animals that are so cryptic or elusive that we don't have good information about them. So we can use new technologies like tracking devices or camera traps or uh, cameras to monitor the seafloor to better understand those places and species for which we have little data and using that understanding build better models about how we can conserve them in the future. So about the albatross in the room, who's your friend? So the albatross helps us talk about tracking devices. Uh, he's got a little tracking device on his back and it monitors his movements and we can engage people, talk to them about how those movements allow us to build models about behavior, how that's changing over time and better understand the behavior of the animal. So if people come to the science exhibition, they get to flap an albatross. They do get to flap my albatross. Uh, they can also play with our shark. So we clearly love our cuddly toys here at ZSL. I'm now with Dave Koenig postdoctoral researcher at ZSL and he's holding the cuddly shark we just talked about probably because health and safety would have gone mad if he had brought a real one. Dave, how can cutting-edge technology help us learn more about marine life? Yeah, no real sharks here today but what we do have is a cuddly toy shark to demonstrate how we attach different tagging technologies to these animals and the reason we do that is because we need to better manage and conserve these species. Uh, apex predators in our oceans are under real threat at the moment. So we're currently working in the British Indian Ocean Territory, funded by the Bertarelli Foundation, to understand how the marine protected area that exists out there, which is one second largest in the world, is protecting species such as tunas and sharks. And the way we're doing that is using different tagging technologies, which we have on display here today. So we've got our satellite tags and we have our acoustic tags. Um, acoustic tags we insert internally into sharks and they tell us when an animal has traveled within distance one of our receivers which we have strategically deployed around the islands and reefs of the British Indian Ocean Territory uh, and then we also use satellite tags which we put on animals that have the potential to travel vast distances and away from the reefs and away from our receivers so those tags are programmed for six to twelve months they tell us where they are what depth they're at, what temperature the surrounding water is, and after the six to 12 months, they automatically pop off, float to the surface, and then send the data back. And then we can use those data to understand where they've been, what they've been up to, and how they've been using the habitats of the British Indian Ocean Territory and the wider Indian Ocean. And so visitors to the Summer Science Exhibition get to actually hold some of these tags? Yeah, we've got some of the tags here on display. Um, we've also got an interactive game so people can come and see how the tags themselves collect data and how we can infer the behaviours the animals are, are up to at that point in time. So I would strongly encourage anyone to come along, have a play, 
you can enjoy the game, which is Shark versus Seabird. Obviously, I'm slightly biased, pro Shark. But yeah, definitely come along. So, Cedar Chris Yesen knows a thing or two about inaccessible and remote places because not only has he devoted himself to working in Greenland, he also decided to study the seafloor just to make things even more difficult. So, Chris, why Greenland and why the seabed? Well, Greenland has a, a very important fishery. Fisheries are the biggest industry in Greenland, and so we've been brought in to try to look at the impact that the fishery is having on the seabed in Greenland. So we're trying to take our um, cameras, take pictures and video of the seabed to look at areas that have had lots of fishing and to look at areas that have had very little fishing and see if we can find differences in diversity patterns or abundance patterns and then providing advice back to the fishermen, promote conservation in the region. So what are visitors to the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition going to find out about Greenland? Well, we've got lots of our cool videos that we've been taking and pictures. Um, we can show the technology that we're using to send cameras down to 1,000 metres below the sea surface. We have specimens that we've collected from the seabed and generally uh, we're going to be talking about what we're doing and idea that um, can go to these inhospitable places and still find out new and interesting things. There is life on the seabed and it is worth caring about. So I managed to find a man clutching a camera trap. Um, that can only mean one thing. It's our very own camera trap guru, Marcus Rowcliffe. So Marcus, surely cameras and camera traps have been around for a while, right? Well, if you want to trace them right back, absolutely. They go back to uh, the 1870s when they were first used in order to try and capture animal motion using tripwires. So that was uh, really the way the technology stayed until the mid-20th century when there were active light sensors. Now we have passive light sensors which gives you these little camera trap units which you can use very autonomously out in the wilds, put them in very remote places, leave them for a long time and over time they collect imagery of um, animals that otherwise we just don't see in the wild if we go into the, the jungles for example. You very rarely see the, the, the mammal species that live there because they're very shy, often nocturnal. What we can do with camera traps is, over time, gather lots of information on where they are, what they're doing, um, how many there are. So how have you personally been using camera trap technology then at ZSL to find out about things in hard-to-reach places? But we've been working, for example, in Panama, so we're testing methods out um, in the the rainforest of Panama trying to figure out how to best monitor, how to best get information out of the imagery. Of course, when you come back with images, um, that's one thing to know that the animal is there. The next step is to turn that into data um, that you can use to understand something more quantitative about the, the populations that you're looking at. Um, and we've been applying these methods in a whole range of different places where there are various issues that we're trying to understand, particularly fragmentation of forests and the effects that that has on the mammal communities within them. And where's your favourite place to put a camera trap? Ooh, I think my favourite place thus far has to be northeast India in the, uh, in the Himalayas, a fantastically biodiverse area with the most stunning landscape. It's uh, very difficult to work, uh, very steep terrain, not easy at all, but the rewards are huge for somebody who loves wildlife and landscape. So what does this all mean? How can we use monitoring data generated using the technologies we've just spoke about to make better conservation decisions collectively or, in fact, influence conservation policy 
I think I may have found the people to answer this very big question. Louise McRae and Valentina Marconi from ZSL's Indicators and Assessments Unit. So Lou, Val, are you also sticking tags on animals or attaching camera traps to unsuspecting trees? No, we very sensibly stay in our safe office in London. Uh, we do use the data, however, from these sorts of uh, tracking schemes. So something like camera trap data, we can take the abundance data from, from those and we use these population trends. So if we measure that abundance over time, we can get a trend. And if we do that for lots of species, then we can combine that into what's known as a biodiversity indicator. And that can tell us something about what's happening to biodiversity globally. So one of the indicators that we work on is the Living Planet Index, and that combines over 16,000 populations and 4,000 species. We combine trend data for all of those species into one index, and we have an average which tells us that since 1970, biodiversity has declined by 58% in that time. Uh, we can also use this sort of data to assess the conservation status of species. So this is assessing how, how a species is, how at risk it is of extinction. And so if we can do these conservation assessments over time as well, then we can also put this, what's known as a red list categories, into an index as well. So we have a red list index which then measures trends in extinction risk over time. So the two indicators together can give us this global picture of what's happening to species and these can tell us a little bit about what's happening to biodiversity worldwide. And how are these used? Who uses them? Well, the first part they're used for policy. So we have what's known as the Convention on Biological Diversity. That's, that's set an international target to reduce the rate of biodiversity loss. So we've got um, a target that most countries in the world have signed up to and said that we want to reduce biodiversity loss, um, but we need indicators to show whether we're doing that or not to measure pro progress towards this target. So those two indicators are used um, to measure progress, but they're also used to tell the general public about what's happening to biodiversity. So the Living Planet Index is published every two years in WWF's Living Planet Report and that gives people an idea of what's happening to nature, what threats there are to nature um, and what we can do about it to live in a more sustainable planet. Excellent. So talking about the general public, Val, why do you think it's important that people should come and visit our stall here at the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition? We have lots of interactive activities and games. We have a top trams cards and we have a bagatelle marble run game to show how the Living Planet Index is constructed and how we can modify the trends that we observe in biodiversity through conservation to make spe species thrive. And if anyone is interested in a career in science, we all come from different backgrounds, so it's quite nice to find out how we got into science and hopefully we can inspire young people to become the scientists of the future. So Charlotte Coles is ZSL's coordinator for public engagement with conservation science, um, which essentially means she's chief cat herder today. She makes sure we're all where we should be, um, like some sort of master puppeteer. So Charlotte, why is it important for our scientists to, you know, get out more and speak to the public? Well, first of all, hopefully they enjoy it. 
they tell me they do anyway and visitors to this exhibition but also when they come to the zoo as well always really enjoy meeting our staff the people who are involved in all the science and conservation that they hear about and read about in the press as well and the summer science exhibition is obviously a really prestigious event so it's fantastic for us to have been invited to take part and to be here alongside all these other incredible universities and institutions and to really try and raise awareness of the research that we do at ZSL that yes we have have two zoos we've got conservation programs uh, across the world but we've also got this incredible research institution with cutting-edge science taking place so what's your impression of the exhibition so far it's all looking very good I'm really pleased with our stand and how it looks it's taken a lot of preparation and planning but it's looking fantastic there's lots to see and do on our stand but the other exhibits too are, are brilliant um, so I would really encourage anyone to come along it's a completely free event it's open all week until Sunday and it's a, a great opportunity to see some fantastic science so hopefully this has given you a bit of a flavor of the event the exhibition itself is running until the 8th of July so come and see us if you are in London and you can enjoy our lovely stall kindly supported by the Batterelli Foundation. Or if you are not able to join us in person, check out our online resources at www.zsl.org forward slash rs. But really, in person is so much better. While we monitor wild things, we promise we won't bite. And where else can you go and flap a toy albatross? So thanks for listening and see you soon at the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition.